0: All right, glad to hear it. Well, if you are new with us this morning, uh, my name is Dan, and we are going through a series called "Together We Can." And this is not just a desperate cry of humanity for bonding together and you know emotional hype. This is together we, the body of Christ, can. We have been enabled, we have been empowered by the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to accomplish the work set before us, the work of Christ Himself, the work that He started and finished on the cross. And we are in that in-between stage doing our job of reconciling the world through the way that we love the people sitting next to us, people who are... Our friends, our family, the people who are complete strangers, finding ways to love people who we will never even meet, thinking outside of our own terms and our own context to be able to reach a lost and hurting and dying world that is separate from and far from Christ. Together, we can. And so we started this journey, and Pastor Mark uh, talked the very first week, he talked about trust, talked about this idea of trust and how in order for us to be able to, you know, convey hope and truth and life, we have to trust, we have to be trustworthy, we have to be able to invest in the people around us, and we have to be able to go out on that limb to be able to kind of open up the door for us to be hurt. And that's hard work. We all have some kind of emotional pain, relational struggle, and and trusting each other came in very simple tasks like not lying to each other, right? It's a a good foundation for for building trust is, hey, let's not tell each other lies all of the time. And yet we live in a culture, we live in a society where upwards of 80% of people, not Christians, non-Christians, people, eh, it's okay to lie. I lie kind of on a regular basis, actually. And breaking that context, breaking that mold and saying, it's not okay. You know, we need to be trustworthy. We need to live a a lifestyle that shows the love of of our Savior, the trust that we can have in God. The hope that we can have in God. And then move forward talking about participation. And Pastor Mark had this, this ball of, of yarn, you know, and it's just kind of falling apart and pieces of it are falling to the side. And we just basically were left with just this, this hot mess. You know, here we are, we're just a ball of, of anarchy, of chaos, with no design. And yet he showed us that, that through the design of a master and through the hands of a master as he molds and shapes and weaves that he can purpose us into something that's beautiful and help us find our way to be part of the body of Christ as we participate. And then Pastor Eric talked last week about blessing. And this idea of of getting this nefesh blessing and and, and giving it. And this nefesh blessing was something that kind of came from the core of who you were. It it involved your your status, it involved your reputation, it involved your, your possessions, and it was all that you were being able to be poured into someone else. And it required something. It required knowing. And this is an interesting thing because there's this disconnect between a lot of times what we want to do and how we do it and how another person receives it, right? Learning to love each other. I remember... um I remember uh, a relationship with a girl that I used to have, and somewhere along the line, it was conveyed that she really liked these Noah's Ark animals, right? And so I'm like, oh, cool, this is awesome, Noah's Ark animals, okay, that's that's your thing, all right, well, so every time some special occasion came about, you know, there it was, you know, hey, here's here's a pair of giraffe for you. Here's a pair of, of elephants for you. Here's I couldn't ever find the platypus. I don't know where they did the, those. But I was really looking for them. But here it is, you know, and finally one of these days, you know, it just kind of came out like, okay, like enough with the whole Noah's Ark animals. Like why do you keep giving me these things, you know? I, I thought that you liked them. I thought you were, this is kind of like one of your goals in life, maybe to have like an entire room filled with like all the animals on earth, you know, in their pairs with your little arc in the center. And I thought just, I thought that was something that made you happy. Yeah, No. Not so much, not, not, not really, and as a matter of fact, it's kind of annoying that all I get for presents are Noah's Ark animals, you know, and somewhere along the line, she just made this statement, you know, to one person, you know, and said, oh, hey, th- that's pretty cool, you know, and so they bought something for her, and then somebody else saw it, and so they, oh, she's into that, and okay, and let me get, it. and everybody just jumped on this Noah's Ark animal bandwagon without ever knowing <laughs> This girl really on the inside that that's not really what she was into at all, and yet we do that. Married people are you know like oh yeah you know learning to love each other, learning to to speak that language of love. I mean I did that. I had that disconnect in my marriage for years. You know learning to well this is what I do. You don't love me. Well this is what I'm doing to show you that I love you, and you you do that because you love me. You load the dishwasher. You mow the grass because you love me? You, yes, I'm a, I'm a server. I, this is how I show my love. Well, I'd rather you just said it. Well, that's easier. <laughs> I get a whole lot less sweaty, <laughs> at least initially. <clears throat> so what happens here is there is this disconnect between what I... Sorry, Steve. I didn't mean... Yeah, yeah. It'll be Okay initially there is this disconnect between being able to know someone and be known and to be able to really give a blessing. And and Eric made this profound statement, so true, and he said last week, he said, blessing and identity precede activity. Blessing and identity precede activity. That means I can't just, all right, let's go, jump into something, I'm gonna bless you without knowing what it is that I'm getting into. And the question might even go back further that I have to know who I am before I can bless you, before I can know you. I have to know what my gifts and talents and strengths and purpose and calling are. I remember when I was in high school, growing up I was in this Christian school you know and and we it was very small many of you probably know it it's called Community Christian now and before that you know I was one of the original guinea pigs in that school you know and it was called Covenant Community Christian School, you know. And and so we all went there and and we were the guinea pigs. I tell you that because it seemed like, you know, we were the the top of the class. And so we were always the seniors. You know, no matter what grade we were in, like we'd move on to the next year and they'd go, "All right, I think we'll I think we'll do that grade for you." You know, and so we were kind of like perpetually the seniors, perpetually, you know, the top of the food chain when it came to the other students. And yet at at 10th grade they they finally let us let the ball drop on us and said, "All right, um, you guys are just too much for us to handle, and we don't really know what to do with you, and so we are going to discontinue high school, and you're going out to the real world." And we're all like, "What? What are you talking about? They'll eat us alive!" And some of us were excited, and some of us were scared to death, like myself, and they shipped us off, you know, that next year, my junior year, and, and some of us went to, to Lincoln and to Leon, and some of us went to Rickards and to Godby, and some of us, I think, threatened to drop out because we were so afraid. But we went through this scenario and trying to learn what life was like in this other world, in this, in this going from a, a class of, of five to ten to a class of of 50, to go to, uh, or a class of 400s, to go from this, this whole school of 50 to a school of over 2,000 and just going, what in the world is happening? Having to ride the bus. You know, it's like I'm a junior in high school and I've got these like little elementary school boy fears in my mind as I'm getting on the bus. Like, what in the world? This is, this is strange. But we had some people that kind of were our predecessors. A couple people that, you know, were friends of ours that they'd, their parents hadn't been able to afford the Christian school tuition. And so, you know, they went out. And, and so we got to meet the, with them and, like, all right, give us a lowdown. What do we need to do to be cool? What do we need to participate? What do we need to look like? What do we, what do we need to do? How, how do we fit into this new world? And this little bit of excitement began to twinge. And I remember the first time, 16 years old, and got invited to this, this party the cool people party, you know, and we're there, and, and, and we're listening to our, you know, our Lloyd Cole on the way, we're listening to our Depeche Mode, you know, we're listening to uh, the Smiths, you know, all of these things, and we're just, you know, like, yeah, we're cool, little alternative punks, you know, and, and so we pull up at this party, and me and my buddy Dave, we look at each other, and we're like, this is it, in that house is a revolution, this is the house of coolness. Life from this point on is not going to be the same. When we go back to school on Monday after this party, life is going to be totally different. People are going to see us, they're going to know that we were there and we are the real deal, you know. And so we go in, you know, we're we're walking in, you know, and flipping our hair, you know, and and we get in there and all of a sudden, you know, like all the lights are down low. And we're looking for people that we know and, you know, it's, it's late at night and, and we begin to kind of go through these different rooms and my buddy sees some people that he knows and, and he grabs a beer and, and he takes off and I'm there alone and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to drink a beer. And I began to just kind of meander through the maze that was this house. I remember going into this room, you know, this one room and people were in there and they're just kind of hanging out. And and they're just talking and they're expressing their teenage angst and, you know, bashing, you know, the parents, you know, and, and reveling and every other word is a curse word, you know, and just having a great old time and telling dirty jokes and everything was off color and, and fun. You know, and yeah, it's not really me. And then I walked out and I remember walking into this other room, you know, and all I see is arms and legs and, and I'm going, whoa, this is not my room, you know, like I, I might have run out screaming, I'm not sure. Um, but. But I remember going, damn, I don't really identify with that either. And then going to these other rooms and seeing people, some people playing games and some people just, you know, playing drinking games and board games and card games and and some people watching movies and and all these things going through this whole whole phase and and finally make it to the back of the house to the keg, you know? And the keg guy's there, you know, hey dude, you want a beer? And, And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, seems like there's a little lull in the action here. Would you mind uh, manning the keg for me? I'm like, I've never even seen a keg. (laughs) Like, how does this thing work, you know? So he gives me, he's like, seriously? Like, where have you been all your life, you know? So I become, all of a sudden, the keg guy. And I'm going, what? I'm the keg guy? I'm the keg guy? Like, I, I don't even know what this is about. And, you know, little 15-year-old kids are coming up to me. Little, I was only 16, you know. But, but I'm, I'm giving them beer, and I'm going, what? What is this? Keg guy didn't come back. After like 10 or 15 minutes, I'll, I'm a nice guy. I'll, I'll help him out, you know. But after 15 minutes, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this anymore. I just left the keg. And I remember walking back through the house and looking for my friends and standing there for moments and talking with them and realizing, This is just not where I belong. I I can I can make myself belong. I I can walk this walk and I can talk this talk. I can do these things, I can drink these things or smoke those things and and I can look like you. But that isn't me. And I remember walking out that front door and sitting in the front yard for two and a half hours. (laughs) waiting for my, my buddy to, to come on out. And when he came out, he said, where you, where were you? And I was like, it just wasn't me. Like, I wish you told me because it just wasn't me either. And then we left. The cool part of the story is that he let me borrow his Mazzy Star CD after that, you know, which is awesome. I don't know if you know Mazzy Star. High school stuff but this idea of identity. And here we are, we, we, we do the same thing in, in our own lives as we, we, like me, wandering through those rooms and, and, and we wandering through life and going into our workplace and going into our homes and going into to bars and going into you know, coffee shops and going into movies and, and, and dressing a certain way and talking a certain way and, and acting a certain way and presenting ourselves. And, and so we begin to kind of, well, I like that and let me, let me take a little bit, I'll take a side of that and, I'll, okay, that's pretty cool. Let me, let me have a little bit of this. And, and we begin to conglomerate and we begin to grab and we begin to form who we are an identity. And as we identify other things, oh, I don't like that, and oh, that's definitely not for me, and oh, God, gross, you know. And, and what we do is we begin this process of, of categorizing and labeling and we become exceptionally proficient at identifying those things that are relevant to ourselves and what are those things that are irrelevant to ourselves. And so what happens is we begin to write off entire groups of people because they wear Hawaiian shirts. Or we write off entire groups of people because, oh, they talk this way and, and I don't, or they listen to that music. We see somebody walking down the street and, and immediately what happens is, is we, we filter all of our past experience and knowledge about that person and what they look like and we decide whether we should stop and turn around or cross and walk on the other side of the street. And we live in this, this labeling and this categorizing. We live in this This process of of actively experiencing our fears and our doubts, searching for relevance, and it's all based on on a bias or, or a lack of understanding or a fear or outside pressure or sometimes complete and utter selfishness. You just can't do anything for me. You just can't make my life better. So why would I want you in my life? As we search for our identity, we find that we, like Adam, for we are sons of Adam, have come to this point of living in the knowledge of good and evil. I know what's best for me. I know what's good for me, I know what's bad for me, I know what's right, I know what's wrong, and nobody can tell me anything different, and we create our own reality. And God says, no, you you are sons of Adam, but, but you are sons of God. Sons of Adam is what has happened to you. Sons of God is who you are. A sin nature is what you live in, and what you battle, and what you experience, and what you have to wrestle with, and what you have to overcome. But you are sons of God set free, made for relationship with me, relationship with each other, made for work. And the situations of work are the things that oftentimes make us consider it a curse the bad bosses and the having to do things that we don't like to do, and selling out our purpose and our calling, because we want to make a certain amount of money because a particular job has a certain amount of status. And yet in this identity that God has created for us, relationship with Him and relationship with people, loving God, loving people, and, and being productive. There's this other side of the battle. There's this other work at work. There's this battle of, of the faith and the works. You know, and Paul says, hey, if you got faith, you know, you're, you're, you are justified by your faith alone. What you need is, is a faith in Jesus Christ, and it's not of your works, meaning that your works cannot bring you salvation. And then James comes back and he says, well, I'll show you where you're justified by your works, through faith and so there's this thing that what we do you know a lot of times is we identify who we are with what we do you ever ask somebody that who are you and they tell you what they do our identity is in the things that we produce our identity a lot of times comes through you know how much extra service i do or what my job description is you know and my worth and my value is based on these things that i do Oh, I've got a job that I like, and I feel like I'm a, a, a working part of society, you know, and I make a contribution. Wow, I have this awesome identity. Well, you know, I'm kind of in between, and, and I'm a student, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to, well, I hope to do this. And we begin to kind of belittle ourselves as, as we realize that our identity is, is incomplete. But in Christ, in the body of Christ, our identity can be complete, regardless of the way that it produces itself in our life. Because what the, the real purpose of the way that we show our identity and, and why we do what we do is that we identify that I now have a choice. I don't have to go through this sin nature. I don't have to battle with these things. I don't have to, to wrestle with, with these things that are, are tempting me and, and driving me down. When I focus on those things, those are the things that I experience. Take a look at, at your fridge fold or open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 27. And this is a continuation of a story, it's a snapshot out of a story that, that we talked about last week that Pastor Eric was talking about with, with Isaac and Jacob. And Isaac is going to bless Jacob, and, he, and he's, he, he's meaning to bless Esau. He calls Esau to himself, and yet Jacob and his mother come up with a scheme by which Jacob is going to receive the blessing instead of Esau. And so what happens here is as Isaac is very blind, Isaac says to Jacob, come over here, I want to touch you and make sure you really are Esau. So Jacob went over to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said to himself. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac pronounced his blessing on Jacob. Come over here and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. Here he's this old man, and and, and previously in this thing, um, Jacob has prepared some food for him and given him some wine. And so he has tasted and now he calls his son over and, and remember, Jacob had put goat skins on his arms and his hands and the back of his neck. And so his father, Isaac, reaches over and, and touches him. And then he, he draws him in closer and he smells him. And he goes, all right, this, this is my son. And yet inside, something is, is speaking to him and saying, this is not my son Esau. And yet all of the things that he's identifying with, all of the things that he's tangibly experiencing through his senses are the things that are deceiving him. And it's the same with us. We get out there and we do acts of service and we think, all right, well, you know, if I just put in this many community service hours and if I just just spend this much time sacrificing and giving to other people and, and if I just go to church, and if I, if I sing a worship song, and if I, if I try to read my Bible, and if I, if I do a daily devotion, you know, and if, I, and if I set a specific time aside for prayer, and all of these things, and we begin to make this list of all of the things that I need to do so that I can identify myself as a Christian. And then we make up all of the list of all of the things that we don't do and that we can't do because, well, these things, these things are non-Christian. And what we do is we draw this separation instead of living in the freedom and living in the liberty that God has given us to be guided by His Spirit so that we can have the freedom that if we want to drink a beer and it doesn't cause us addiction and it doesn't cause us debauchery and it doesn't lead us to a dark place, that we can do that in Christ. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. But we have the power of God living inside of us where we don't have to turn those tables and let one become two, become three, become five, become ten, become a case, become us crawling on the floor. Praise the Lord. We begin to worship another God, the porcelain one. And we have to be able to, as in our community identity, be able to get past that place of I'm okay, you're okay. To be able to experience true encouragement and, and building up in the believers of, the, of Christ, the body of Christ, where we have this other identity where we perform our function. And it requires oftentimes some, some really hardcore boldness. There is this very sad identity that the world has in association with Christians, with the church, and it's called hypocrisy. Ever hear of it? I ran from God as hard as I could because of other people's hypocrisy, because I put my eyes on man instead of God, and men will never be enough. Amen? Men will always let us down. Mankind, in our depravity, in our, in our sin nature, will always drop the ball. And so our eyes must be on God. Our focus must be on God. Our identity must be in God. And he must work through us within the body of Christ in order for us to be able to overcome and in order for us to be able to confront hypocrisy. Look at this section in Galatians. It's in chapter 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I, this is Paul talking, had to oppose him publicly, speaking strongly against what he was doing, for it was very wrong. When I first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who don't bother with circumcision. But afterward, when some Jewish friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore because he was afraid of what these legalists would say. Then the other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was influenced to join them in their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the good news, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you trying to make these Gentiles enjoy the Jewish laws you abandoned? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. And yet we Jewish Christians know that we become right with God, not by doing what the law commands, but by faith in Jesus Christ so we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may <clears throat> that we may be accepted by God because of our faith in Christ and not because we have obeyed the law for no one will ever be saved by obeying the law so here peter is is hanging out with all of the gentile non-jewish christians you know and they're not circumcised they haven't performed these legal acts that make them right with god according to Jewish culture. And Peter's there, and he's eating some pig. And, and the Gentiles are like, yes, yeah, good stuff. Hey, Peter, try some bacon. Man, all right. What God has called clean, let's not call unclean. Amen, you know. And Peter's all like, rock on, you know. Let's eat some bacon, you know. And then the Jewish leaders show up, James and his posse, and they're all like, whoa. What, what's going on here? And Peter's like, oh yeah, you know, that's just, that's their thing, you know. <laughs> They're free in Christ, you know, to eat big, you know, like, woo. <laughs> like, and Paul says, whoa, Peter. You were just right there. And, and you were right to be there. You were right to live in your freedom in Christ and to not put legalism and put those constraints upon them. What are you doing? You're being a hypocrite. You're putting on a facade. You're celebrating a form of godliness, and yet the power just died because you identified yourself with something other than God and his freedom. You identified yourself with this group of peers. So what is our identity? What is it that we as, as the body of Christ, what is it that we as the church are supposed to look like? What is it that we're supposed to do? Here we are, we're a, a, a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. And so how are we supposed to get past this place of, of, of battling my, my self-image and my, finding my identity in other people? It's very dangerous just to take one step back into that just for a moment A lot of times what we'll do as we're choosing and as we're picking and we're going, all right, well, I like this and I like that and I don't like this and I don't like that and they don't like this and they like that. And we begin to conform ourselves to the image of other people and we find our identity and how they view us. And so we begin to live vicariously almost in another person, not through another person, vicariously actually through the imagination of other people and what they think about us. And yet the real us, the real me, is what exists inside this skull. The real me is what exists when no one else is around. The things that come out in my thoughts and in my mind and in my actions. When it's late at night and I'm all alone in front of the computer when i'm when i'm watching a movie and something that that i know is a temptation and leads me away from the things of god and yet i don't hit stop when i've paid my 9 bucks and i'm sitting there in amc and something deeply in my spirit disturbs me and yet i don't want to be the one to get up and leave because even in a room full of strangers somehow that power and that pressure still exists A French mathematician and philosopher named Pascal writes, We do not content ourselves with the life we have in ourselves and in our own being. We desire to live an imaginary life in the mind of others. And for this purpose, we endeavor to shine. We labor unceasingly to adorn and preserve this imaginary existence and neglect the real. And if we possess calmness or generosity or truthfulness, we are eager to make it known so as to attach these virtues to that imaginary existence. We would rather separate them from ourselves to join them to it. And we would willingly be cowards in order to acquire the reputation of being brave." a great proof of the nothingness of our being, not to be satisfied with the one without the other and to renounce the one for the other. For he would be infamous who would not die to preserve his honor. Amazing, amazing insight into the twisted nature of our mind where we actually esteem the views of other people upon ourselves and live in that Reality as opposed to and in direct contradiction to the reality of how God has wired us and made us. Earthen vessels to hold his glory, to reflect his love. Stark dichotomy, stark contrast there. So how are we as the body of Christ supposed to get past that? Pascal is also the one who said we have this God-shaped void. And so how is it that we live that out? How is it that our identity is found within the body of Christ? One, we need to be worshipers of God. He is everything that we need. Everything is for Him. And so if I find in my life, not just in, 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 my, in my corporate identity, you know, as I gather together, you know, singing songs or whatever, I find in my life, in my own mind, in, in the way that I do my work, in the way that I express my my belief in God, if I find that those things have more value than who I am doing those things for, then I'm backwards. My worship is every moment, is every breath. My worship is my existence. As, it's, as I'm being spent for God in my service, and by the giving of my resources, my time, my talents, and my money. It's a beautiful thing to be spent, <laughs> to spend yourself for God. I don't know if, you have, if you've tapped into this, but when you find yourself in a place where nothing else satisfies you than to give yourself in service to the Lord, it is an amazing fulfillment. It is an amazing satisfaction. It is amazing casting down uh, and, and really devaluing all of the, the natural appetites when we find more joy in in picking up a homeless man and taking him to McDonald's and giving him a meal and loving him and and listening to him than we do in in going out and, and having a drink with some of our friends. Amazing thing. We trust God in everything. We live in this life of faith We trust God that his word is true, that we can take his word, we can take the Bible, and we can open it up, and we can believe every single word of it, knowing that not one jot or one tittle, not one dotting of the I or crossing of the T is going to pass away. That everything in here is true and applicable and relevant for our lives. That we can trust God in that way. We can have conversation about spiritual ideals, seeking out spiritual growth, challenges, doubts, fears, and hopes. And believe me when I tell you that Christian fellowship isn't a couple of Christians talking about the game last night, okay? That's not how it plays out. Christian fellowship is not a couple of people who call themselves Christians getting together and knitting and talking about, you know, what's going on in the community, aka gossip, gossip and then praying about it. Christian fellowship is wrestling. Christian fellowship is, is, is going through all of the, the hard doubts and challenges of our faith. Christian fellowship is being able to be honest enough to say to a brother or a sister in Christ, you know what, you have really just pissed me off. You know what, I, I hate God right now. You know what? I am so enjoying my joy in the Lord. All of these different things, the extremes and also everything in between, being able to go, what, what does this verse mean to me, to you? How do I reconcile my life to God's word? That, that's Christian fellowship, and that's where we're built up, and that's where we're encouraged. We live these, these things out in community and unity and fellowship with God, with our family, and within the body of Christ. And sometimes, it demands an end of our natural abilities. Look at that last verse on your fridge fold in Genesis chapter 32. We're gonna revisit Jacob again just for a moment, and here he is. He's about to have a meeting with his brother again. It's been many years. Esau has grown into a mighty and strong man. He has many possessions. He has many servants. He has many warriors. And Jacob hears that he is on the horizon. He's only a couple days away. And so what he's done is he, he gathers his people together and, and he sends out one of his wives and some of his kids with all of these gifts to go before him. And they get there and, and hey, who do these belong to? Oh, these, these are presents for you, Esau. And he's sitting here buttering up his brother. And now it's the night before he's going to meet Esau. And he's wrestling. And he's battling it out. and He's coming, all right, I'm at the end of all of my deceit. I'm at the end of all of my wiles and all of my plans and all of the, the natural ability that I have. I, I, I don't know a way out of this situation. I don't know how I'm going to live through the next 24 hours. Because truly, my brother... Bile rights should kill me. And in fact, at the last meeting that we had, he threatened to do that. And here he is, he finds himself alone. He sends the rest of his family on, and in Genesis 32 it says, Jacob is all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn. When the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint at the socket. Then the man said, let me go for it is dawn. But Jacob panted, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. It is now Israel because you have struggled both with God and men and have won. What is your name? Jacob asked him. Why do you ask? The man replied, then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, face of God, for he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun rose as he left Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Sometimes in, the, in our natural ability, sometimes in our identity, the things that we have conglomerated, the things that we are comfortable in, we have to come to the, to the end of those things, to the death of those things. And here Jacob wrestles all night long. He's giving all of his strength and he's not going to give in. He's going, I am in a place of of bewilderment and wonderment. I am in a place of insecurity. I am in a place of fear. I am in a place of passion. I am in a place of hope that I can make it through the next 24 hours. And God, you alone are my answer. I need you to bless me. I need you to give me this nefesh blessing, to change who I am Because I've been successful in life. I I know how to make my way in the world. I've learned the ins and outs of of dealing with people in their depravity. And yet, there's a measure of success that I've never attained. There's, There's always been this fear and this insecurity. My hope is only in what I can accomplish. My hope is only for this life. And honestly, when faced with my mortality, I'm a crying little baby here. And God himself responds and says, you're no longer deceiver. You are no longer heel catcher. Now your identity is in me. Now you are Israel. Now you are wrestling with God. You are going through the struggle of your life of faith, reconciling the things that you shouldn't do to the things that I tell you to do. Reconciling the things that I've put inside you and who I've created you to be so that all of that can come out to fruition. You are now Israel. You are now a man who struggles with God. You are now a man governed by God. And that's really the core of our identity as individuals and as a group of believers who come together and say, I submit myself to God and to His Word. And if you don't, I hope that we our community, where you find it very hard to live in hypocrisy. Amen? Will you stand with me and let's pray as we enter into a, a heart of worship? Lord, we just come before you with all that we are. Lord, some of us are, are successful and some of us are, are inept. Some of us are very comfortable in where we're at and, and the things that we have gathered around us to give us security and to give us hope and to, and to take us through each day. And yet, Lord, when we're honest, we must identify our deep need for you. And so we sit in a place now, Lord, of asking you to take us on that next step, For some of us, it may be a complete redefinition of who we are. It might be a, a new name. And for some of us, Lord, it might be celebrating the fullness of the joy of our salvation, living a, the fullest life of faith, living an abundant life, Lord, where we are unashamed of the great work that you have done in us and the great work that you want to do through us. And Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for each and every one of us, wherever we are on that journey. And I pray, Lord, as we lift our voices, as we honor you, and as we as we sing your praises, as we worship you, Lord, that you would give us a lifestyle of worship. You would deepen our trust. You would deepen our service. And you would help us find our identity in you and not in the things that we have gathered around us in a quest for comfort. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.